you love a good comeback story. The more dramatic, the better, right? When it seems like there's no hope, nothing's going to turn around, fate has been sealed, it's over, and then bam, the whole thing just totally turns around. And the person that you, you think is out of the picture comes roaring back, the tide turns, and uh, everything switches for the, for the better. Uh, despair turns into rejoicing. Everybody loves those kind of stories, whether it's a book or a movie or a real-life scenario. Uh, the comeback story is something that resonates with everybody, and everybody loves that. Uh, and again, the, the more dramatic, the more significant, the more dire the circumstances, the better it is, uh, the more incredible the outcome. And what we're going to look at today as we finish up our series, Finding God in Our Grief, is one of the greatest comeback stories ever, Um, probably second only to the comeback that we are going to uh, focus on like we do every year in just a few weeks, uh, the comeback of the Lord Jesus Himself with His resurrection. But this comeback story uh, was a preview of that. We, we come to uh, another instance where Martha and Mary are weeping over their brother Lazarus. We've talked about this throughout our series. We've looked at this a few times. We're going to come back to that. And we, we come back to a tomb. We come back to a tomb that looked like as the tomb was sealed, so was the fate of the person inside of it. But uh, Jesus wasn't done with him yet. And so we're going to look at this incredible comeback story of Lazarus, which was in every way a picture, a preview of what Jesus himself was going to do just a short time after that. So as we wrap up today in this series, which I hope has been a tremendous source of encouragement to all of you as, as you have or, or are dealing with grief in some form, I hope this has stirred your heart, pointed you to God and to the hope that we have in him. And uh, as we wrap this up, we're going to talk about the fact that God is one that overcomes our grief. We're going to find Him today as we end this series and this focus, overcoming our grief. Aren't you glad we have a God that overcomes all of our grief? Uh, It's what we all need. It's what we all look for. And if you know Jesus Christ, you know the God who does that, who overcomes all all grief. I'm going to pray really quickly and then we'll dive in together. Father, thank you for what we have looked at throughout this series. Uh, I pray that you would continue to use it positively in the lives of everyone who has heard these messages. We all identify with grief one time or another in one way or another. And thank you that you are a God, as we have seen, that understands our grief. You Uh, grieve yourself over the cause of all of our grief, which is sin, and you made provision to overcome that. You share our grief. You've, You've carried our grief. And as we look today at the fact that you overcame and overcome our grief, oh, may you, may you just fill our hearts, Father, with encouragement, with hope, with gratefulness, for you and all that you do. Thank you for your word that we are able to see you and and all that you do, not just what you did, but what you do. And so I pray that your spirit would be the teacher, that through me he would speak. 
I pray that you would tune every heart and mind of every person that's here to his voice. And may he do the work of application, applying the riches and the power of your word to every person in a specific personal way. We'll give you praise for all of this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me at John chapter 11. We're going to go back to the scene of the tomb of Lazarus with Martha and Mary and Jesus and the Jews gathered around John chapter 11. And we'll be focusing in to begin on verses 21 through 26. We've already looked at these verses earlier in the series, but we're going we're gonna to wrap up by looking at them again. John eleven twenty one through 26. Here's the scene. Martha then said to Jesus, so he had arrived uh, after he heard about Lazarus. He waited and he came and Lazarus has already been dead. And So Martha comes and meets him and, and she says this, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's, she's looking ahead, seeing this as some far off, vague event. And then here's the reply. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Jesus here is is not saying that death, physical death, won't happen and won't come for people. It had already come for Lazarus. He's not saying that. He's not saying that, that death is not a reality. What he is saying is that there is a way of overcoming the reality of death and overcoming the grief associated with death, and it's by what you do while you're alive. What you decide, what you choose to do with Jesus while you're still living, that's what determines whether death overcomes you or whether you overcome death. That's what he was saying here. And he was pointing to himself. He wasn't saying... I know the secret to resurrection life. I know how you can have resurrection life and experience resurrection. He he was saying, I am the essence of resurrection. I am what it is to live again. If you know me, Jesus was saying, then you know resurrection. If you experience me personally, relationally, then you can even now, while you're alive, experience resurrection power in the here and the now that then carries over into the hereafter, into death. And then he he states this very, very, very important question that everyone has to come to terms with and everyone has to ask. Everyone has to have this asked of them. Do you believe this? I've stated this truth. I'm pointing you to me. I don't want you to think of this resurrection event far off in the future, vague and unknown. I want you to see me as the source of resurrection reality. 
But then you have to make a choice. Do you believe this? And that's the question before all of us. And it's a question I ask you. I don't want to take anything for granted. I don't want to make any assumptions. So I ask you what Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? The most important question that you can ask and answer is this question. Look to Jesus, look at His claim, and then answer whether you believe it or not. And all of eternity, listen, all of eternity hinges on your response. It's not just life here and now, although that's certainly true. Uh, The way you live life here and now depends on this answer, but your, your very eternal destiny depends on the answer to that question. Whether you believe that Jesus is who He says He is, the resurrection and the life, or whether you believe He's just some regular person, some great teacher, some moral example. If you, like so many people, have answered the question that way, you can look to Him and find inspiration, and, and you can find even a certain measure of hope, but it won't last and it won't carry you through to where you really need it. All of eternity depends on the answer to the question that he he asked Martha. Do you believe that I am more than just a man? Do you believe that I am more than just your friend? Do Do you believe that I am more than just a rabbi? Do you believe that I am very God, the creator and sustainer of life, that in me you can find resurrection power and resurrection life that transcends even death, that death will not be it for you if you believe in me? It really is what Jesus had said earlier, Uh, Another significant statement, John 5.24, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has already active, present, has eternal life. You don't wait to come into eternal life. You're given eternal life even while you're living physically if you accept the truth of who Jesus is and why he came. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has, as in has already passed out of death into life. That's good news. That's really good news. That's the gospel. So taking all this together, what Jesus was saying to Martha and and what I just read from John 5.24 What this means is that Jesus, and Jesus alone, makes death a doorway to life for everyone who commits their life to Him. That's that's the ultimate hope. That in Jesus, it's possible to have death be, be turned on its head, and instead of it being this final, crushing thing full of despair, it can actually be turned around and the doorway or the gateway through which you step into what is really life. Really life. To the point where you look at at this life as what was just a, a shadow, a preview, a taste of what is really meant to to be life and what it really means to be alive. That's what Jesus does. And it's what he alone does. And it's only, only possible 
if you commit your life to him while you're living. If you look at him and say, yes, I believe he is who he says he is. I I believe he is God come in the flesh. I believe he is the only source of salvation. I believe he is my only hope in this life and the next. Jesus, I give you my life. Take it. I I give you my, my whole self. I commit to you. Be the Lord of my life. If you do that, then that's what he does for you. He makes death which is a reality for all people. The Bible says it's appointed to man once to die. Once Adam sinned, death entered. Death spread to all people. Death is a reality. But what Jesus does, and what He alone does, is He makes that a doorway for life, for real life, for everyone who commits their life to Him. Have you done that today? Have you committed your whole person to the person of Jesus? If you have not, today is your day. Today is your day. Don't leave without making that true of you. So Jesus makes makes death a doorway to life for everyone who commits their life to him, and he, he symbolizes that. He pictures it in a very real, powerful way by what he does next, by what happens next. Let's look back at John chapter 11, verse 38. So he had that dialogue with Martha, He also had the same dialogue with Mary. He goes to the tomb. He sees everyone crying and grieving. He's deeply stirred, and literally he's he's indignant at what sin has done to his creation. He has an angry response, not to the people's grief, not to their sorrow, but to the sin that caused their grief. We talked about that at length in this series already. So verse 38 says this, So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, it's the same Same reaction, this indignation at what sin is doing to his creation. So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Oh, don't you see the picture here of what's going to happen in just a little while to Jesus himself? Another tomb, another stone, another stone that will be moved. Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time he smells, for he has been dead four days. Don't tell me that Scripture doesn't contain humor. I I love just the realness of Scripture, don't you? The realness of the account. Like This is something that anybody would say. Like, Okay, there's a problem here. He's going to smell really bad. Because he's already been dead four days. Ah, we'll have to get over it, Jesus is saying. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, see there it is again, belief, 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 that's what everything hinges on. What are you going to do with Jesus? Do you believe or not? Is he all that he claims to be or not? There's no middle ground. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Which was the whole point Jesus waited until Lazarus was dead. He heard that Lazarus was sick, seriously ill. He was told to come. He waited deliberately, all so that the glory of God and Jesus' own glory as God would be manifest, would be evident and seen. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, despite the stench that would be there. 
And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing around, I said this, so that they may believe, there it is again, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, that I am the promised Messiah, that I am the Savior, that I can do all that I've said that I can do, that I am all that I claim to be, that I am their hope, that I am the source of life and resurrection, so that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! This, my friends, this is what every true Christian has heard. This is how we experience salvation. If you are in Christ today, then you have heard that very statement. You have heard the command from your Savior, come forth, come alive, come out of death. And it's what every person has to hear in order for them to step into salvation. The Bible clearly tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are a spiritual corpse. So every salvation story is a resurrection story. If you're in Christ, it's because you had the God who made you and the God who gave His life to save you say to your very soul, Come alive. Come forth out of death. Come forth out of the tomb of sin. You couldn't come out yourself. You couldn't roll away the stone from your heart. You needed Him to do it for you. And if you are saved this morning, that's what's been done for you. Praise God. Verse 44. The man who had died came forth. He didn't resist. He didn't reject He heard the command to come alive and to come out of the tomb, and that's exactly what he did, and that is what is true of every single believer. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Let me just stop for a second and point out something here. Poor Lazarus, right? Poor Lazarus. This was a bad deal for him. Think about it. He, he was terminally ill. We don't know exactly what he was sick with completely. He died. He was not suffering anymore. He was not in agony anymore. We don't know for sure where he was at, at the point of death, like where his soul was. There's, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of room for, for open debate and consideration there uh, because Jesus had not died yet. He had not uh, raised from the dead yet. He had not emptied uh, paradise, which was part of Hades at the time. So it's possible that Lazarus and all who had put faith in God or faith in the coming Messiah uh, prior to Jesus' death that he, that he was in this compartment known as paradise, which was part of Hades, which was a literal place somewhere uh, deep inside the earth. There's torments and then there's paradise. Uh, it's possible, though, that he was indeed in what we would refer to as heaven and what we think of as heaven, 
that he was in the presence of, of God. Scripture doesn't completely or explicitly tell us. What we do know, though, is that wherever his soul was residing outside of his body, it was somewhere good. And it was in a very good situation. He wasn't in torment. He wasn't suffering. He was released from all the agony and the suffering and the grief of life. Even if he was uh, in a place of just kind of contented rest or, or sleep of some, some type, the point is he was out of the constraints of life as he knew it and as we know it. He was free from that and it was a good thing. And now he's taken back from, from that good uh, paradise experience, whatever that may have involved and wherever it, it was, and now he's thrust right back into life under the curse again. Life in a sin-soaked world again. Life that he would have to end up dying again. It's a bad deal for Lazarus. I mean, he was at peace, true peace, maybe even in glory itself. Now he's back and he's covered with fabric, he's mummified, you know, and, and he's in, in this, this reality of, of life as we know it. If we could fully comprehend, fully grasp it, fully wrap our minds around what our loved ones that were Christians stepped into the moment they stepped out of this life, we would never, ever bring them back here with us. We would never do it. And that's, that's hard to think about and that's hard to hear if you've lost a loved one, which many of you have, some of you recently, and I get it, I know, I've lost a loved one too. I know that there are days where you would give anything to have them back with you. I know that. But loved ones, if we fully grasped and, and saw even for a second what all of our loved ones who died with faith in Christ stepped into the moment they stepped out of this life, if we could experience for a fraction of a second what they are experiencing, we would never wish them back. And if we brought them back somehow, that would be actually the most selfish, unloving thing we could ever do to them. Because they're free. They're free. They're out of the constraints of, of this sin-soaked world. They're out of agony and they're out of grief forever. They're, they're never going to experience grief again. And so, man, Lazarus, what, what did he see? What, did, was, what was he experiencing? What was he feeling? What relief did he have? And then to be thrust back into this world and this life. Poor, poor Lazarus. But that's what happened. That's what, what he experienced, and that's what Jesus did. And certainly, certainly Mary and, and Martha were rejoicing. Let's keep going with the rest of this verse, verse 44. So he was wrapped up like a mummy, and Jesus said to them, Unbind him, unbind him, and let him go. 
And again, I want to say, I want to bring it up to us and and make the application here. That's what Jesus decrees, commands for everyone that comes to Him. That's what He says to sin for everyone that comes to Him. That's what He says to death for everyone that is His. See, only Jesus can set us free. Only Jesus can set us free from what we've said throughout this series is the cause of all of our grief. It all goes back to sin. It all goes back to the Garden of Eden. That's where we started this series. We started with the fall of man. And that their sin introduced grief of all kinds for all people throughout all of history. And that all of our different sources of grief can be traced back to the source of sin. But Jesus provides freedom from that. And only Jesus and that's what he decrees for everybody that comes to him. He, he sets us free and there's no one, there's no one, there's no one he can't set free. Isn't that great news? There's no one beyond the freeing reach and the freeing word of Jesus Christ. And because death didn't hold Jesus, what Lazarus now is, is living proof that it won't hold His people either. That death can't hold those who come to Jesus. Just as death won't hold Jesus, death won't hold those who are in Jesus. And what was true of Lazarus is true for all who come to Him. So that's true for you. If you are in Christ today, yes, you will see death, but death won't hold you. Death won't defeat you. Because Jesus defeated it for you. (laughs) Hallelujah for that, right? Death doesn't have the final word for anyone that belongs to Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Death doesn't have the final word for anyone that belongs to Jesus. We see that vividly with Lazarus here. And that's true for every single person. What Jesus said for the people to do with Lazarus at the tomb, unbind him, let him go. It's what he says to death for everyone that that is his. As death comes for you, as death comes for me, if we are in Christ, then Jesus says the same thing to death. You can't hold them. Let them go. And death obeys. And we step into eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 53-58 really elaborates on that fact that death doesn't have the final word for anyone that belongs to Jesus. It's, it's what Paul says um, about the hope that is every single believer's hope and how death does not have the final word. I want you to see that. 1 Corinthians 15, 53-58. See, this is not something that's just true of Lazarus. This is something that's true for you and for me if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus. Paul says this, For this corruptible, the, the, the mortal flesh that we all have, the human body, our current existence, for this corruptible must put on the incorruptible. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this corruptible 
puts on the incorruptible, and this mortal puts on immortality, then will come about the word that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Verse 56, now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Verse 57, don't miss this. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have His victory. He was victorious over the grave, over death. We come to Him in life. We give our life to Him. He extends that victory to us. How do we respond? Or or what is the result? What's the application? Verse 58 tells us, Therefore, in light of that being true, in light of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, Paul says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's our hope. There's our motivation. Why we keep going. Why we keep living. Why we keep pressing on despite the hardship of life. Despite the grief that comes into our life. The reality of grief. The reality of pain. The reality of loss. All those things are there, but that's not it for us. We press through it. We look beyond it because of what Jesus has done and then extends to us. And this is so important to remember. This is so important to remember as long as we're in this in-between time. We're in this in-between reality as Christians. We're, we're still in this world and in this life, but this is not it for us. This is not our home. This is not our permanent reality. This is not even our, our ultimate or our most powerful reality. We're in this in-between time of the here and the not yet. Waiting. We're waiting for this promised renewal of all things. And there are days when it seems like it's just a fairy tale and a fantasy. I know. That's how how hard life can be. The agony of life and the the present experience can be so real and so powerful that that sometimes it can seem like the the promised renewal of all things, that far-off event, is so far off and and seems so fantastical that is it even true? But, but I promise you it is. It will happen. All will not remain as it is now. All will not remain as it is now. All will be made new. And what a day it will be. Oh, what a day it will be. In the meantime, while we're waiting, we should be steadfast. We should be immovable always abounding or increasing in the work of the Lord because our labor is not in vain. It's not pointless. There is a better day, a newer day coming. There is a renewal that we're waiting for. And I want us to end not just this series, but this particular message and and our focus today by looking at that promised reality. God is so good to to give us a glimpse of what is to come. He doesn't just say, it's going to get better. I'm going to make things new. Just, just trust me on that. 
I mean, he could say that and we should, but he goes beyond that and he, he pulls back the curtain of time and he lets us have a glimpse of what that's going to be like. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4. Look at that with me. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4. This is why what we're going to see here, what John saw and wrote down for us to be able to read today, this is why what Paul said in the passage we just looked at is true. Why we should be steadfast. Why we should be immovable. Why we should be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why our labor is not in vain. It's because of this reality that is waiting for us. Revelation 21, verse 3 through 4. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And here's the really Really good part. Verse 4. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the first things or the former things have passed Away. And the very term that we use so frequently, the term that so many of you have used so recently, they have passed away. They passed away. That term, that concept itself will pass away because death will no longer be a reality. That word will have no meaning any longer. What a day that will be. Oh, how many of you have spent so many days wiping tears from your eyes because of the reality of death. Because of mourning and the pain of loss. How many of you are suffering even now under not just emotional pain, but physical pain. There are so many sources of grief here and now in this life. But my friends, the really good news that I I want to stress and that I want to leave you with is the reality that Jesus has already overcome all the causes of our grief. Jesus has already done it. It's not that He will do it. It's not some far-off possibility. It's a present reality. Jesus has already overcome all the causes of our grief. Praise Him for it. Believe it. Cling to it. And let that be your motivation while you're waiting to to step into that reality in the here and the now, in this in-between time. Let that be your motivation for living for Him, for pressing on through all of the hardships that we still endure. A better day is coming. It's already been secured. It's a done deal. It's your reality, even in this reality.
Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that we have if we are in Christ because of what he's done for us. If there is anyone here that has not yet committed their life to Jesus who is the source of life, may today be the day they do it. May today be the day that they stop holding back, that they surrender all that they are to all that Jesus is. May today be the day that they step into resurrection life. And Father, for those of us who have already stepped into that reality, for those of us who have already been given resurrection life, we've already passed from death into life, Father, I pray that that would be an abiding, constant hope in our hearts. And I also pray that that would be motivation for us to live our lives for the one who has already given us that resurrection life for your son. And not only that we would live for him, but that we would live to make him known. That we would point others to the reality of resurrection life here and now. That they can step into now and experience while they're still living and then know with certainty that when they step out of this life, they step into real, unending life. May all that be what is true of us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.